You're listening to Grace for the Grind, brought to you by CLB North American Mission. We're here to encourage and equip you through the ups and downs of life and ministry, because each of us needs some grace for the grind. Hello and welcome to episode 153. I'm Ryan Nilsson. I'm Dan Stenberg. And I'm Mike Natal. We're your hosts, and today we're bringing you another episode about applying law and gospel. And today we're talking about applying law and gospel to visitation. And so we've, we've got a few comments here, really excited about a few things we're going to address as we go through this topic. So we're just going to jump right into it. This is not the first episode that we've been talking about law and gospel, so you may want to go back and catch some of those other ones. We did record one where we talked about what law and gospel is. So we're not going to get into that, but today we are going to talk about what it means as we do visitation. And that's something that most pastors do visitation. They are not the only ones in the church that do it, but it's something that that many of us spend a lot of time doing. And we always want to do it well and do it better. And applying law and gospel to our, our visitation ministry is a great blessing. So let's dive into it. Mike, can you uh, like tee us up for our first question? Yeah, sure. So as we begin our discussion, we're going to make it into three different major sections. And the three major sections that we're going to use is first, we're going to explain the heart of visitation. We're going to talk a little bit more about what visitation is, where to do it. We're going to talk about meeting with members of the opposite sex, meeting with minors. We're also then we're going to shift after we talk about what visitation is to actually applying law and gospel in visitations. And so we hope that this will give you a couple more tools in your toolbox as you move forward in everyday ministry. And what I want people to hear is, you know, sometimes some people might be thinking, well, visitation is just for pastors. However, it's really not. Visitation is going to allow us to properly and effectively minister to all people, whether you're actually a pastor or a lay individual, visitation is key for each person. So let's talk quick about what visitation actually is. So Ryan, you want to just explain like what visitation is? Yeah, sure, Mike. So visitation is, the word kind of defines itself, is involved in a visit. So this is different from gathering for corporate worship. This is when somebody is going to visit somebody else. And usually we are talking about a pastor going to visit somebody. And often it's not just to catch up. Sometimes it is, but it might be because of something difficult that's going on. It might be because of some kind of illness. It may be somebody that's homebound, maybe somebody that's going through some kind of crisis. So those are typically visitations happening because of some kind of trial or hardship. Also, though, it's a great way to get to know people, too. And so if you're a newer pastor or you just want to get to know someone better, visitation's a great way to do that. I mean, as an extrovert myself, I absolutely love visitation. I love meeting with people, going to where they are, and seeing how they interact throughout life. I love that. Oftentimes you hear about you know, take your child to work day. I don't know if that's an actual thing anymore that kids used to do. But I remember when I was growing up, there was take your child to work day. And at points, as a pastor, it's fun to go to work with people or hear more about what they do in their everyday life, 
or get to visit with people who aren't able to get to church in order to encourage them and help them to feel like they are part of the body of Christ. Updating people who are unable to go to church is incredibly valuable to them. They hear about what's going on in the church. They hear Hmm. about the exciting things that are going on. You can share prayer requests with these individuals who are shut in, unable to make it out, and they feel like they are, well, they don't feel like, they are a part of the church because they are actively understanding and hearing everything that is going on, which is tremendous. And I think Hmm. that's great. So that leads us to our next thing, which is where should we do visitation? Depending on your church, you would probably anticipate visiting certain groups of people under certain conditions, and your church may have expectations too. And it's good to be clear about those because depending on the traditions of the church versus where you grew up, where you were trained or raised, you may have completely different ideas about what you should or shouldn't be doing in terms of visitation. Again, we we went through some of these groups before, but you typically might be, as a pastor, you might be more focused on doing visitation with people who are homebound, who are dealing with crisis or some kind of longer-term illness. In the hospital. Yeah, hospital, nursing home. Generally, I just want to say about this too, I generally find there are a lot of people in church who are willing to go visit people in their homes, but there are a lot of people who are really uncomfortable going into a nursing home or a hospital. And those visits Mm -hmm. tend to land more on clergy. I was going to say this later, but I'll just put this in here now. I really think it's important that the pastor is not the only person doing visitation. That's the ministry of the entire church. Everyone, every believer should be involved in that in different ways. And if you have set that expectation for yourself that only you can do that or only you should, or if that's kind of an attitude in your church, you may want to work on on changing that because you're missing out. I think some of the best visitation that happens in the church doesn't involve the pastor at all. We have an awesome ministry in our church where we have a whole team of people that every week they make meals for different people in town. And there are people in our church and outside and just people who can use a hand with an extra meal. And so because of that, our church has relationships and contact and credibility with people that uh, would not necessarily want the pastor showing up and talking to them. So it's one of the things that I appreciate about visitation as a church ministry, because like visitation is one of the areas that I'm like, I wish I was better at it. I, and I, I don't know why I, I don't feel like I'm good at it. It's just not the most comfortable part of ministry for me. Like I, I love people. I love my people. I, I love spending time with them, but I'm just not that comfortable typically when I'm doing visitation stuff. And, and I feel like the person I'm visiting <laughs> can't possibly feel comfortable if I'm not comfortable. So it just becomes this like, it's kind of like Ricky Bobby when he's got like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like I just, I just feel like I have no idea what I should be doing. And that's not a reflection on, on anybody who's mentored me or coached me or taught me in that. It's just an area that I don't feel as comfortable in. And so to have some people from our church come alongside and be able to be like, yeah, We'll take some of that and we'll be a part of some of this. Has been a healthy element, I think, for us. I hope it has been. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm not there, but uh, it's been it's been good because I'm I'm just, I, I'm just not as comfortable. I get nervous. Again, I know I still need to do it, and I do do it. But 
it has been a blessing for me that other people are willing to come alongside and partake in those ministries as well so that some of that can be spread out throughout the church. And that's a perfect representation of the appropriateness of the body of Christ Yeah, when you think about it. Like, if you're listening to this and you are a lay individual and you are of the mindset that the pastor is physically and capably able to do everything that involves church ministry, you need to reevaluate that. <laughs> because those are unrealistic expectations that you would not put on any other person. You don't expect anybody else in any other realm to be able to fully competently and yeah. professionally yeah. do the role of every single task that is in a certain job description or a certain job necessity. Like none of that, that that's just an unrealistic expectation. A lot of times people who are in church feel like, oh, well, that's the pastor's job. That's the pastor's job. That's something that the pastor does. And it's like, you know, a lot of times that holds people back from being able to respond to what the Lord may be calling them to do. If they think, um, that's not mm -hmm. for me, that's for somebody else. Yeah. So just something to think about. So Daniel, you're actually, by you being uncomfortable doing it, that allows other people in your church to step up and do it. It's kind of like the pastor who doesn't have a good voice or can't play an instrument. Right. Yeah. yeah. And man, it's great that you're self-aware about that, Dan. And we we all have things that we are expected of a pastor that we would say, yeah, I'm not the best at that, or that's not my favorite thing, or feel insecure about that. So thanks mm -hmm. for being vulnerable with, with us. So Because I know there's probably a lot of people listening who feel the same way. Yeah. And yet, it's something that you have to do, even though right. it's you, – you probably think, you know, there's a hundred other people that would do this better than I am. It's still <laughs> – it lands on you. And a lot yeah. of our listeners are in that same boat. You know, it just reminds me – this is a tangent, but I heard somebody once share that pastors tend to have gifts in three different – kind of categories. One is in preaching and teaching. Another one is in shepherding, visiting, caregiving. And another one is in ministry leadership, helping others to lead effectively and leading teams. And generally speaking, a pastor is usually gifted in like one of those areas, maybe two, you know, I think there are a lot of pastors who are they're gifted in two of these, but rarely or never really is somebody good at all three of them. And yet we are called to do that work. And so, you know, I, th I think the real danger is if we just think we're the best at everything, <laughs> we're not helping anybody. No. Nope. We're deluding ourselves that way. And we're not helping ourselves if we think, you know, God's only going to love me if I'm good at all the things. Agreed. So as we are talking about where to do visitation, we should also be talking about who to do visitation with and what are some things that we need to be aware of as well. So obviously, people in our church, we should be visiting, calling, making plans to spend time with them, getting to know them on a personal level. And so that brings up the situation of what happens if you want to meet with a member of the opposite sex or what happens if you need to meet with a minor. In, for whatever reason, while you're doing pastoral ministry. Those situations are going to arise. And so having a game plan that is yeah. talked about, talked through, and even written out, if you have something written out, amazing. 
this would be a topic to discuss with your elders. Yeah. So one of the first things that I did when I took the call to our church, so we have a church office, and the door to the church office where people would want to have visits with me had no window. So there was no way to be able to even casually look in to the room when that door was closed. And that was something that made me very apprehensive for a number of reasons. And so I had asked my property and finance team if they could cut a hole in the door and we could put a window in it. Not so that people could be like snooping, like, oh, who's Mm -hmm. Mike meeting with? But just so they could walk past and casually look in and see, okay, they're talking, there is adequate space in between them. It's one of those above reproach things. We hope that it never happens ever, but on the off chance that it does, you want to make sure and you will regret not being prepared. Yeah, well said. And so one of the things, other than making sure that you don't meet in a room that like doesn't have any windows or anything, another thing is you can have someone who you trust, perhaps your wife or someone else who is in ministry leadership in your church who is a female, if you'd like to meet with a female and making sure that you have a person and just say, hey, you know what? Like, I know that you want to meet with me. If it's a private thing, we can either meet out in the public area where there is constant traffic. We don't have to Mm -hmm. speak loudly, but there are going to be people around. Or if you'd like to meet in my office, And there's not another person who's in that area who can periodically just walk through to make sure that it's okay. Inviting another person into it would be beneficial too. And the best part is, if they're willing to do that, that often starts another friendship or another person that they can then rely on. I guess before we move on to that, do you guys have any pointers or things that are benefit when we talk about meeting with members of the opposite sex? Okay, I got a question for you guys. What do you think about the Billy Graham rule? Do you know what that is? I don't. Isn't that like you're just never with someone of the opposite sex? Like you just don't do one almost like you couldn't drive with them? Yeah. You couldn't like like nothing. There was never him and a and a member of the opposite sex. As we talk about this, I think about that and I think when I got started in ministry that was a very popular position and you know it seemed to make sense however as time has gone on i think the broader christian community has come to acknowledge that it's depending on how you use that or apply it or talk about it it's really unfair to the opposite gender some of the the concepts behind it can be condescending or demeaning Mm-hmm. And can make it really difficult to do care work. And it, you are really limiting yourself into how you can minister to people if you would just have this hard and fast position like that. And it also means that you need to have some you need to have someone of the opposite gender on your ministry team mm-hmm. that is providing that that kind of care if you're gonna do that. I think hearing that as like this is the golden kind of the golden rule of visitation and meeting with people. And I think over time just the broader community and myself realize like it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And there are a lot of times where we need to do ministry that you can't follow those guidelines. Mm-hmm. So I think what Mike is describing is really, really good. Like, and I've done all those things like 
window in the wall of your office or in your door, mm-hmm. which is a safety thing. You should, every classroom, every office should have that. And then, you know, if I was in the building alone, meeting with somebody in my office, the door to the office is open. Mm-hmm. Not only is there a window, but the door is also open. I love the idea too of the you know meeting in a more public part of the building when it's empty or there's few people around. Those are all great, and those I think help other people feel safe too. The people you're meeting with, and I've brought my wife in too. I've asked her to help. All, those are all great, great things to do, Mike. So then, as we talk about meeting with minors, I would encourage you to make sure that you have either something put in place or you make sure that you're never one-on-one with another individual who is a minor. And I know that this can be difficult, especially, you know, like I struggle with that when we wanted to get kids into the youth group and we wanted to drive them to and from. And eventually you're like, well, I'm going to be alone in the car with Mm -hmm. at least one of them, whoever I drop off last. And so a lot of that stuff is just making sure that you have the appropriate accountability as you're moving forward. And I know that it can seem like an unnecessary hurdle or something that might, at first when you're thinking about it, hamper you in ministry, but it it doesn't. And if people are on the same page and they know it going into it, you are in a much better place. And if you explain it to them, nobody wants you to purposefully be unsafe Mm -hmm. or Nobody purposefully wants to put you in a situation that's going to make you feel uncomfortable or that could potentially go south. And if they do do that, then those are the type of people that you need to watch out for if they're going to purposefully put you in situations Mm -hmm. that are going to potentially question your integrity. I also think, too, there's no perfect plan to protect yourself and your church 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. But I think doing the work to you know, as much as you're able to be above reproach and keep yourself safe and others, that's great. And and again, you're never going to, you know, what works in one church won't necessarily work in another and nothing's perfect and you can have a great plan and someone can poke a hole in it. And so just do your best to have healthy boundaries and as you minister to people. Yeah. All right. So our last question in this section is why are visitations beneficial? I think a lot of soul care happens one-on-one, especially between a pastor and, and a congregation. That's one reason. I think it's it's one of the best ways that we bear each other's burdens. It can become a part of mentoring and discipleship too. I remember hearing this as a young pastor, and I've kind of taken it to heart that visitation's a part of sermon preparation. Hmm. And that you're you're not ready to preach without it, because it really helps you understand the congregation that you're preaching to. Interesting. One of the things that I absolutely love about visitation is that hmm. it helps me to identify the skills, talents, and hobbies yeah. of the people who I serve with, so that I can see and. I don't want this to come across as like the only reason why I get to know people is so that I can figure out what their gifting is so that I can (laughs) plug them into church. But what I am trying to say is like, as you get to know people and you see what makes them tick, that will give you an inroad to the gospel. Like the more time you spend with people and the more time that you get to know them and you see what they're about and you see what they enjoy, that will work 
so well for you moving throughout ministry because it'll allow you to say, hey, we have this opportunity that needs this to be done. And I feel like you have the skills in order to do that. Is that something that you'd be interested in helping out Mm -hmm. with? I can't even tell you, like, I spent years being bitter and angry that people didn't volunteer for things. Hmm. And then I slowly began to realize that the only way that I was actually asking them to volunteer was from behind the pulpit. And I was saying, we need help with Mm -hmm. this. And then expecting people to take the initiative. Realistically, though, through visitation, it's allowed me to get to know people. And then you have the opportunity to precisely plug people in where their giftings are going to be best Mm -hmm. suited. And where they'll feel comfortable and they'll thrive and they'll feel better. So that's one of the aspects of why Mm -hmm. I feel like visitation is so beneficial because it allows you to get to know them so that you can find ways of plugging them into church so that they can feel utilized. So I have a question. Yeah. Is hosting people visitation? Ooh. Like if they're coming to your house, is that still visitation? Or is visitation just going to where they are? Man, I hadn't thought about it that way. I think it is visitation. Yeah, absolutely. I would define visitation as spending time with people. So like the physical act of going somewhere to visit isn't necessarily a visit because people can come to you, to your church and visit. I mean, especially now. So like with Lindsay in the current state that she's in, Taking Lindsay on visits or even having Lindsay coming to the church with me to visit with other people isn't happening due to the autoimmune disease that she has. So we bring people here and visit with them so that she can be a part of that. And I think that that's, that's awesome. I think that that's visitation. This is the first time in our lives where we've had that kind of ministry in our homes, but we've been experiencing that too. I mean, our kids are older now. When our kids were young, we just did not have the capacity, time, energy, didn't have the house either to do that. I started serving here at Bethany in September, and we're living in a a parsonage that they have that has a great space for having people in the house and having people out in the yard. Mm -hmm. And I think in this one year we've been here, we probably matched or exceeded the number of times we had people hanging out with us in uh, the 15 years in our last house. Dang. And it's just so fun. And, you know, I used to feel guilty about it when I was younger and our kids were younger. I felt really guilty about it. And I just couldn't realize, man, it just, that was impossible back then. Like we're trying to raise, you know, four little kids, five little kids. And mm-hmm. it is just insanely crazy. And it's one of the favorite aspects of ministry now. Awesome. Yeah, I guess just like thinking about that, like listening to – because again, like visitation is something that I haven't been or haven't felt as good at. But hosting is something that we do quite a bit. And when Mike was listing awesome. out the benefits that that he finds from visiting people, I was like, yeah, well, that's what I do through hosting in many ways. But that said, I don't think that hosting replaces going to people either. I think it's very important to go and to meet people where they're at, to be with them in their times of – of struggle or, or mm-hmm. just needing to talk, you know, whether it's going to their house in some cases, 
or having them come and, and meet in the office or, or whatever that, that looks like. I, I think spending time with people on an individual basis helps make people realize that you care about them and that they're important mm. and that they're special and that they have value. I think that is particularly true with those who are not the loudest ones in the congregation. I think that it's, an, it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. And it lets people know that you care about them, that you're happy and blessed that they are at your church. And it gives you the opportunity to walk through joys with them, visiting at the hospital after a baby, right? Or, or when they come home and maybe they don't want any, maybe they don't want anyone with them in the hospital, which is totally legit. But when they come home and like being able to come in and, and, and bless them there. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's celebration. Sometimes it's not, right? They've just got a diagnosis that they're not excited about or somebody's passed or or they're just having a hard time, or their job isn't doing so great, and being able to sit with them in like the dirt of those moments, right? Like being able to be with them in the struggle. Visitation is a very important thing, and it can't always happen through hosting. I think some of it can, but being able to sit with people in the hard places is a good thing. It's a great thing. Mm -hmm. It isn't always the, the easiest thing. Something you said, Dan, made me just reminded me. I think how people feel or expect or respond to visitations changed a lot as well in the last couple of decades. And like, you got to know who you're going to see because I yeah. know some people think it's the creepiest thing that could ever happen. <laughs> what do you want to come over to? You want to what? You want to come to my house? Like, no, 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 no. Like, so, so not comfortable. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. It's just not necessarily what you would expect. I remember the first time I came across that, I almost laughed. I was like, oh, you're kidding. I'd never, <laughs> I hadn't realized uh, people feel that way sometimes. You know, as the more I thought about it, I realized, oh yeah, I could, there are a lot of reasons why people would be uncomfortable with that, especially as they are new to Christianity, new to a church community, or they've had some bad experiences in other churches. Yep. It's it's easy to understand that. All right. So we all want to talk a little bit about how to apply the law when it comes to visitation. And there are a couple different themes that we want to hit on real quick here. One of them is confession and one of them is confronting. So let's talk about confession first. Mike and Dan, you guys have had a number of experiences where you've had people come to you. They may not have put it in these words, but they needed to confess. They needed to confess their sins before God and lay their burdens before someone. And they found you. God brought them to you at just the right time. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's the work of the law in those situations? It's interesting that we view confession, like how do we apply the law maybe in some of those situations? I think when someone's coming for confession, the law has been applied, right? Like they are recognizing that they're in a place of need. During COVID. I mean, it was the height of COVID. Everyone's still supposed to be all masked up and like all those kind of things. And I had a call at the church and there was this young gentleman that was like, dude, I'm in a bad way. I just need to get some things off my chest. And would you do like communion with me? And I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I do. I do. All right. You know, come on down. And I, I didn't even like, he gave me his name, I'm sure, because when we did the communion stuff, I proclaimed the, 
the absolution, but we sat in like just the foyer of the church for, man, it was like 20 minutes. And this dude just needed to unload. And I was a little surprised. I mean, we're a pretty Catholic area. I don't know why. Like I would have assumed that would have gone to the Catholic church. Like that's typically where I would assume those things would go. But this dude just had, I don't know. I don't know why he found us. I don't know why he is not associated with our church in any way. I haven't seen, I never seen him before that. I haven't seen him since, but he just came and needed to confess. He was feeling the weight. I think he was scared The COVID obviously was a pretty scary time for a lot of people. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? Am I in a good place with God? Like, where am I at? And he just needed to get that off his chest. It was incredible to see the law at work in this dude, in his recognition of his need. And so I think in some ways, when it, particularly when it comes to confession, we're not necessarily applying the law, but recognizing that their need for confession is their recognition of the law at work in their life. And that's something important for us to be able to come alongside, to like, to recognize, to see in them so that we're not like just beating them down with it. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have been doing, but they're already at a point where they're recognizing this isn't where they should be. And so I think it's important to to be able to see it in that light instead of just continuing to come down on them for the things that they're, that they're confessing. Dan, as you say that, is there a place though in the work of the law to try to think of the right words to, to put this in? I think our culture, we brush things off and we minimize them. Yeah. And someone coming with a burden, they may have shared it with friends and all their friends said, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's fine. It's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And they've been looking for a place and just it rings hollow and they realize they need to come to a place where it can be acknowledged Yes, that it is sin. Yeah. I think there's a difference between acknowledging someone's sin and recognizing the gravity of it and beating them over the head with it. And if they're coming to you, they don't need the beating over the head. That's right. But coming alongside and saying, yeah, this is a big deal. Not brushing it off. Not saying, oh, no, it's fine, dude. Like, it's good. But sitting with them, again, sitting with someone in the dirt, right? Recognizing this isn't fun. And sometimes sitting in the dirt means you're with them in a bad diagnosis. Sometimes it means you're sitting with them as they're confessing a rough situation that they've, that they've committed and that they've been a part of. And that's part of the privilege. I think, too, for me, one of the most important things to remind people of is that as they come to us for confession, it is not the act of confessing to us. Yeah. That is what needs to happen. And so I always make sure that as we get to this point of what they've shared, as they've sat in it, I always ask them, you know, like, hey, how has that affected your life up until this point? How has this thing that you have brought to my attention, and now you have spoken it, how has that affected your life? Because one of the things to always remember that I try to say it as encouraging as possible is when we confess, it's not that you're the act of you confessing to me that has some sort of absolution Mm -hmm. or forgiveness. It is that we're going to go to the Lord together. Sure, I might be the one who prays outwardly, even though I would encourage them to pray and and give it to God. It is still 
us bringing it to the Lord. It's not like they're saying it to you and you're going to say, okay, I absolve you. It's good. Nope. You're going to bring them to God and you're going to remind them of God's love for them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I always come back with is that you are going to be forgiven eternally for this act or for this situation that you find yourself in. However, there could still be earthly ramifications for what has occurred. And so encouraging a person as they confess, as you're applying the law, the good news is, is that you will hopefully be that person that says, I'm going to walk alongside you as we go through this. And so like, say a person confessed something that is literally a crime. Your next step is, hey, let's bring that to the Lord. Know that the Lord forgives you. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As we say that, we also need to remind them that there are earthly consequences for what they have done. And so it could potentially mean, I will walk alongside you and we will go to the police together. We will go to the individual who you may have done something wrong to. And we will go to that person and I will come with you and I will be that person to walk alongside you through it. And so I think that that's an important aspect too of confession is making sure that like, that's not the end. They come to you in confession. That's not the end. There, There's follow-up. There are other aspects of further ministry that you can be a part of other than just straight up. All right, you told me, let's go to Lord. Let's pray. You've been absolved. Take it easy. See you later. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that also, so like, as we talk about confession, what about the opposite side of the coin? Somebody comes to you and you have either heard or you have seen or you know of a situation in which you need to confront them for doing something that is contrary to God's will. What do you think about that? Confronting. I just don't see that as like seeking the person out for confrontation, right? Like that person came seeking. Yeah. Seeking to justify the wrong that they've done, which you are now confronting them for the wrong that they have done. Sometimes people come to us to confess and they're looking for forgiveness and help to be repentant. But sometimes people are looking for permission or license to do what's wrong, like looking for validity. Like, yeah, you know, I think about social media, any wrong or bad thing you want to do, Someone on social media will tell you it's okay. And I think some people want to come to us to tell them it was okay. You know, some sin they've committed or they know it's wrong, but they're hoping that the the circumstances excuse it or permit it in some way. So what do you do in those kinds of situations? And Dan, you had a you had a really good story about that. I think we need to rightfully struggle with people looking for license to sin. When people are coming to us and they are looking to justify what they've done or what they're planning to do, I just really, like, we need to be very, very careful with how we approach those particular situations. If someone's looking for license, it's not really confession then, right? Like, if someone comes and says, man, I didn't really want to do this, or I hoped that this wasn't the result of what I had done, then... Is that actually confession? And it's hard because normally when someone comes with a confession, I want to bring the gospel, right? I want to be able to let them off the hook. I want to say, you're forgiven. But if they're coming 
saying, looking for justification for the sin that they've committed, we get the un, like the not fun privilege Mm -hmm. of not letting them off the hook and continuing to apply the law, continuing to let them wriggle there, I guess, if you want to continue with that fishing analogy, until they're at a place where the confession is real and true. And that's, and that's hard. And, and so that's for people who I think are, are coming with this idea of, but it was okay that I did this, right? No, it wasn't okay that you did that. The other side of that is when I was going to seminary, we would hop between Bethel and Good Shepherd. And one of the Sundays that we were at Bethel, uh, Dave Foss gave this awesome illustration where he was talking about an individual that he knew that was looking for license to be able to sin. And so he comes up to him and he just uses the illustration where he says this individual came up to me and was like, I've been married or I am married right now and it's it's been rough and there's this girl that I'm interested in. If I go and do this, will Christ be able to forgive me? Like, will I be forgiven if I go and do that? And that's an awkward place for us because, I mean, did Christ die for all sin? Yes, he did. Should you go and do that? No, you shouldn't. So how do you respond to someone that's like, will Christ be able to forgive me if I'm going to go and do this thing, right? Like, I want to go do this. I was like, where's he going to go with this one? Like, that's... Dude, I thought he handled it so well. So this is what he says. He carried on with the illustration he said. To that, I would say, would you ask Christ that same question? So Christ is dying on the cross. You're going to go up to him and say, hey, is it all right with you if I cheat on my wife with this woman? Will you die for that too? Could you just add that to the list of things that, that you're dying for? And there's a weight there that settles in when we're, when we're looking for license to do the things that we want. Well, God, he's going like, to forgive. It'll be fine. Like, like God forgives. That's what Jesus did. He died for that. We're not supposed to abuse grace. And if we're coming looking for license to abuse grace, then I think it, in the way that Dave put it, and I totally agree with him, is that we're not recognizing or appreciating the cost that Christ paid to forgive the sin that we have. And so maybe we just need to sit in that a little bit more, right? Maybe we need to sit in that. So, okay, I'm not the one that died for your sins, all right? I'm the one proclaiming that he paid for them and that because of his payment, you're forgiven. But If you're looking for license to sin, if you're looking for permission to go in sin, why don't you go ask Jesus? Why don't you just go ask him if he's, if he's willing, like if, how, like, did you want to die for that? Like, I thought that was a fantastic way to approach that, but I've had people come up to me and like, so it's okay if I do this, right? And it's like, well, why don't you go ask Christ on the cross? If it's all right, if you just throw one more heap on the pile there, like, like one more thing on the pile, like, it's important for us to recognize the, the depth and the reality and the. Yeah. What Christ did, you know, we talk about grace and grace is a wonderful, beautiful thing. But sometimes in the way that we approach it, I think we also make it so that it's it's easy to abuse and something that we're almost encouraged to abuse. And I think letting people sit in the the reality of the cost of our sin is important. As awkward or hard or difficult as that may be. Love it. Let's shift gears here now, and let's talk about applying the gospel. There's that saying about the law and gospel that we're to afflict the comfortable, but we're also to comfort the afflicted. And so that's part of the joy of bringing the gospel 
in visitation. What do we want to share with our listeners about applying the gospel when we're doing visitation? I mean, for me, that's my favorite part. And maybe that just goes without saying, but like, that's the real joy of visitation for me. I mean, I enjoy getting to know people and I enjoy getting to like get windows into their lives and getting to see and and know them a little more. Oftentimes though, I feel like with visitation, it's particularly like when you're going to their house, when you're sitting with them in the dirt, they need that good word, right? They're, They're looking for some kind of hope. They're looking for some kind of encouragement and being able to bring that, like to be able to remind them of God's faithfulness, to be able to bring some psalms. I mean, I remember sitting with one of my parishioners was in the hospital, and so I just went and sat with him, and, and I didn't even realize that he was in and out with pain. Like, he just wasn't doing good, and so he was coming and going or sleeping or whatever he was doing, and and I was just reading through the Psalms. I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I wasn't sure exactly because he wasn't super coherent, and so just being able to sit with him, and I was like, I'm just going to start reading through Psalms, and so I don't even remember which Psalm I started in. I just opened the book, and I just started reading. And I visited that dude, like, so many times. And the only time that he remembers that I visited him is when I was reading the Psalms. And he said he would go to sleep and then he would wake back up and he'd hear the Psalms. And then he would go back to sleep and then he'd wake back up and hear the Psalms. And there was just a comfort for him, a comfort for him that the word of God brought as he was sitting in that and sitting in that situation. That was awesome. And so that's, I mean, it's not like I'm proclaiming, you know, God's forgiven you for your sins in that particular situation, but it's still bringing the gospel and that this is God's word for you, bringing comfort in this time of need. And I don't even really know how that's working because like, I didn't pick these out and be like, all right, this will be a great one for him. And he wasn't even coherent for most of what I was reading. Mm. What he caught was was something that was just really encouraging to him. It was awesome. And being able to sit with him in that and, and to know that he was encouraged by the word of God being read to him in a time of struggle was really encouraging for me as his pastor and as someone that cares about him quite a bit. So it was, I just, I love being able to bring the gospel, being able to bring grace, being able to bring hope and comfort. Yeah. No matter how meetings go for me, visits, any of those things, I always want to leave with the gospel always. Mm -hmm. So I always make a point to do that, to lead with the reminder of forgiveness. And I think that that is a a powerful tool to always have in your toolbox as you're wrapping things up is just being prepared. Maybe you do that before you go into it. And I think that that's one of the things that we've really done as we've transitioned from being the forge to being grace for the grind. One of the things that I feel like we've gained is that we always leave people with the gospel. The benediction is always what we mm-hmm. want them to leave with. And I think that that works well with visitation too, is that our game plan should always be, how do I leave them with the gospel? How do I leave them assured of the forgiveness, assured that God loves them, assured that even if they are in a situation that is negative or they are doing something contrary to God's will, reminding them that God is constantly pursuing them and constantly trying to bring them back and remind them of his care towards them. I think that that is one of the biggest things that we should always remember to do when we're visiting with people Hmm. is sharing the gospel with them in some way, whether it's a psalm like you're talking about, Daniel, 
or it's just recounting the sacrifice that Christ made for the forgiveness of sins, or perhaps you have a story or an antidote that you can share with them that brings the gospel in. Any of those are tremendous opportunities to be able to use so that people aren't just left with the law, or they're just left with, yeah, that was fun. I was happy to meet with Daniel, or I was happy to meet with Ryan. It was great that he was there. Mm -hmm. And then that was it, as opposed to them saying, man, I really felt encouraged when you shared this, or, you know, so always making sure that you have something in order to share, and making sure that that something is the gospel is the best thing that you can do for visitation. I think another thing that's so good that helps us share the gospel is I think it's a combination of speaking from a gospel orientation and speaking from the theology of the cross. And that is Mm -hmm. speaking from our own brokenness. Sometimes we can help people when we're visiting, we can help them be vulnerable and open when we are as well. And it can be really tempting. I see this a lot, especially in small groups, where people will kind of humble brag. They'll kind of uh, exalt their own virtues and talk about the things that are good in life Mm -hmm. and things that they're good at doing and the things that they're excited about make them happy. But they don't always open up about their vulnerabilities or the the things that are hard. And so when we speak about our own brokenness and we're vulnerable there, it helps people understand the gospel is real. It's legit. It's for serious. It's for, for real sinners to deal with God in a serious way. 100%. And, and I think speaking from brokenness is also really important when we're talking to people who are recognizing their own brokenness, right? So that it's not like we're the, you know, the Pope on high speaking down to the lowly individual, but it's no, like we're, we're sinners too. And mm-hmm. we're here. To, I mean, what's what's the phrase? The yeah, that Christianity is just one beggar tell another beggar where to find food. And in yeah. many ways, like that's what we're doing in visitation. And my like my favorite way to apply the gospel to to bring that gospel punch, if you want to put it that way, to visitation is communion. I love being able to do that with people one on one in that setting. I mean, I have a lady in my congregation that just isn't able to make it to church, and so we go and. It's not something we bust out after a confession necessarily. It's just something that we do because we're part of the body and she's not able to be with us when we do that as the body. And so being able to just, you know, talk about the day, talk about how her doctor's appointments are going or what shopping was like this week or whatever, you know, and then being able to at the end be like, all right, we've had a good time spending time together. Now let's have communion. Now let's be the church together in this time when we can be. And then being able to to have that proclamation after uh, she has taken and being able to say, you know, and now Christ has made full satisfaction for all of your sins. That's why I love like that line, like yeah. being able to bust that out yeah. after yeah. communion is fantastic. And so being able to do that, that is a practical application of gospel, regardless of the situation that you're in during a, a visitation. And I just think it's awesome. And it's a privilege to be able to to meet people in those spaces and to be able to give them communion, to be able to commune them during whatever time of life they're in. I think that's a good wrap up if you want to share a benediction with us. As we have kind of wrestled through and worked through visitation and law gospel and how like some of that stuff applies like it's it's good stuff it's not always easy stuff 
It's not always fun stuff. Sometimes it's it's really hard. Sometimes we have difficult situations that we're trying to navigate with members of the opposite gender or minors or just there's there's so many opportunities for us to to stumble. There's so many opportunities for people to be confused or or hurt. And yet it's it is a beautiful thing that we are called to do. And it is a wonderful way that the body is encouraged and that the body grows. And so if you're struggling through like what visitation looks like or how that can be applied or how that should be applied, I hope that this conversation has been an encouragement for you. If you're like me and you've struggled with it at times, I, I hope that this has been a an opportunity to just kind of wrestle with some of that, to be encouraged to do it, not to be given license to avoid it. Though it is an awesome opportunity for the whole church to be involved in the working of the body of Christ. So as we sit in the recognition of, of our need, and yet at the same time, the proclamation, the compelling of Christ, you know, the love of Christ compels us to go and do some of these things, even though they're not easy, even though they're not fun, or maybe they're totally fun, and we just love being compelled in that way. But as we make this journey, as we're going through these things, I just want to encourage you with this benediction. It comes from Romans chapter 16, starts in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. That's going to do it for us here at Grace for the Grind. We are appreciative that you popped in and listened through the podcast. And we're appreciative, too, to Lindsay for her editing skills. And we would just be so grateful if you would share this podcast with a friend or a colleague, maybe even a family member. We hope that you're encouraged by it, and we hope that you would click the notification bell so that the next time that a podcast drops, you will be one of the first people to hear about it. We appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next time. Adios. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grace for the Grind, a CLB North American Missions podcast. For more resources like this, check out clbforge.org.